and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this week we're talking about Season 6, Episode 16, Flip Flop Part 2. To flip, to flop. The flop strikes back. Basically, there were a lot of great names we could have had for this episode that were not just Flip Flop Part 2. Flip Flop, Chamber of Secrets. The flippening. (laughs) All right, let's get into the episode description and then we'll talk about the actual episode. So, Will and Grace try to break up Jack and Stuart so that they can sell the apartment for a higher price. Karen demands that Lyle discipline his daughter. This is kind of um, half a continuation of last week and half like a totally new plot. Yeah. Um, As we said last week, the Will and Grace plot kind of wrapped up in a very neat, finished fashion. Mm -hmm. So then naturally we had to unravel it. Of course. Uh, Whereas the Karen and Lyle plot is really carrying through. Um, As we saw last week, uh, Karen and Lyle are living together, Mm -hmm. as relayed to us through some delightfully charming exposition. And singing. Also and, singing. And lots of singing. Um, and they are in this state of tension because, as we've seen in previous episodes, uh, Karen and Lyle's relationship is really defined by the tension created by Minnie Driver's character, Lorraine. Yes. And she's returned, she's living with them, and it's causing a lot of friction. Yes. So, uh, last episode, we saw Karen kind of begging Lyle to do something about mm-hmm. Lorraine because... Lorraine isn't actually her child, and she would like the child's parent to do the disciplining. Which is fair. You, then, of course, Lyle kind of sucked at that a lot. And, right, of course. And did nothing. So I mean, then, it makes sense because Lorraine is 32. Right, so it's a bit weird to discipline your 32-year-old. Um, Although she does take to it really well. She does. So when this episode picks up with that plot line, um, Minnie Driver is rooting around in the fridge in the middle of the night, and Lyle and Karen come down the stairs, and he's wielding a paddle for spanking, um, thinking it's an intruder, and it's it's just Lorraine. She's just drunk, and she's going through the fridge, and she's got, like, a beer open, and is, like, basically, like, I don't know, some weird combination of a toddler and a dad <laughs> is what's happening here. She's, like, drunk, and she's like, I lost your limo in a card game or something. Yeah, she's betting against one of, like, the Yankees center fielders or something. Right, she's, like... Beats, she thinks that she can hit a baseball farther than him, and obviously she cannot. Loses the limo in a bet. Um, so she's, like, going through the fridge. And so then Lyle's, like, encouraged by Karen to say something to her. And so he's just like, now, Lorraine, you're going to pay Karen back for her limo. Or you're going to get into another bet with this man and use this house as collateral. <laughs> and Karen says nothing about that, which I find concerning. But anyways, Lorraine drunkenly, like, leaves in a huff and is all upset. And then Lyle is like, oh, no, I chose you over my daughter once. I'm not going to do it again. And then he leaves, too. I think what's really striking about this scene is how broken both Finsters are. Oh, they're such broken people. They need, like, 17 different mental health specialists on call at all times. Like, I think it's very clear that, like, the details of this fight are not essential since we have we've seen it basically two or three times already in this pair of episodes Mm -hmm. it's just that this dynamic keeps happening where you know Lorraine Finster is very damaged emotionally was not raised with loving concerned parents Mm -hmm. and is acting out because of it and is acting basically like a 16 year old even though she's 32 right um it's really playing out the childish levels of her personality now that she's not actively sleeping with Stan right whereas on Lyle's standpoint, like, we kind of have the opposite where he's, like, at the end of his life 
and he's been a terrible person for almost all of it, and now he's like, oh no, I have to repair my relationship with Lorraine, etc. That's cool. Lorraine in Spain falls mainly on the plane. Quite the British accent. I don't know why it's so twangy. <laughs> it's from the British South. Oh, God. Where the Kensington bluegrass grows. I don't know. I don't know anything about British. That's the Kentucky British. bluegrass. Stop talking. So, anyways. <laughs> but it, what, it, what it does is it creates a tension that is kind of the reverse of what we normally have. I mean, in the last couple of episodes, we've seen Lyle be frustrated with Karen that she's using him as a pawn to get back at Lorraine. Mm -hmm. Whereas now we have Lyle upset because Karen won't let Lorraine back into their lives, which seems obvious, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, admittedly, there's a major flaw here, which is the existing beef between Lorraine and Karen. Mm -hmm. And so Lyle seems to just be kind of conveniently ignoring that, like, Lorraine has genuinely done stuff to hurt Karen physically, Mm -hmm. like throwing her off of a boat. (laughs) Um, But we just ignore that, whatever. Well, and the writers are ignoring it, too. Uh, Like, I I wrote in my notes that this episode really features, like, a tonal whiplash of niceness where it's, like, it's excluding everything that's happened in Karen and Lorraine's past, including stuff that happened in the previous episode to create a more level playing field for them. Yeah, and it's a really weird choice, I think. I, I think it works for this episode. But, Don't get me wrong. But yeah, having this long-term work doesn't super work. Yeah, um, because, I mean, these characters are behaving as if Lorraine just happens to be the adult child of the, wo- right. of the, of the woman, of the man that <laughs> Karen is sleeping with. But Lorraine has existed long before Lyle. Right, Lorraine existed initially as Stan's mistress. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're kind of erasing that from our backstory to neatly slot her into this new plotline feels weird. Yeah. And we should just embrace the weirdness and let the kookiness of that situation play out naturally, but instead we're kind of just like ignoring it, and I think that's weird. Right, like I, I think there's a version of this episode that works without the niceness. Yeah. Like where what ends up happening is that Lyle chooses... Lorraine over Karen but then Lorraine comes to Karen and is like oh my god my father will not stop talking about you we have to miserable and I got your limo back also right like we have Lorraine making good decisions as if she's a good person but that has never been her characterization on this show right it would have made a lot more sense if there had been something that she could get out of it like or even if she's just annoyed that he won't stop talking about right if it's not I thought they were going right she's like she's like He's no fun that he's sad, but it's not that she's angry about it. She's right. just like genuinely bummed out that he's sad. And that is a character choice for Lorraine rings very false because right. she's an extremely false person. Well, and if I can be very gay for a second. <gasps> Please be gay. I do think that this character shift is borne out in her costuming choices. Mm. For the first time in this episode, we see Lorraine wearing like really normal clothes. Yes, she's not dressed like some sort of like tattoo extra. Yeah. Or Sex working, prostituting. Yeah. By the time she's picking up Karen in the limo, she's wearing like just a really basic, like early early 30s going out outfit. You know, like. She's like in jeans and a blazer. Yeah. And it's it's jarring in the same way that her niceness is jarring, but it is. It's fitting with the character in the short term, but in the long term, it's kind of 
jettisoning some of the things that make Lorraine really funny. Right. And it's also kind of a little bit of a weird, like, detour from where we see where she's ended up in the revival. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen her, and she's working at a British-themed strip club. So, like, right. this, like, brief tour into, like, being somewhat of a responsible and emotionally mature adult is kind of weird. Well, and that's just it, is that, like, that characterization in the revival fits really nicely with what the show is doing in the current season that we're working on. It's this middle part now that's really making me confused. Yeah. Because the show is, like, kind of steering her into more of a... More of a Will or Grace versus a Jack or a Karen. She's always kind of been in that Jack and Karen extreme camp, mm-hmm. much like her father. In this episode, everyone is acting like all the other characters in the show. It's really weird. Like, even Karen is not at her full extreme. Right. Like, Karen even... So first, let's just all be real. She sings with Lorraine in the limo because she has to... Was there like some sort of contractual obligation that she had to sing with both members of his family in these two parters? I don't know. Whatever. Um, So she sings with Lorraine and then they realize that they're more alike than different. Which Which is is true. Which is true, which is a very real thing for them to get to. But then Karen, again, embracing this sort of like saccharine niceness, Mm -hmm. invites Lorraine to come stay in the mansion again prior to her and Lyle even getting back together. Right. Which, again, as a character motivation, does not make sense because Karen's husband was sleeping with Lorraine and briefly Karen was not allowed to live at the manse right. because of that. So it does not make sense for her to welcome this woman back into this home. Yeah, I don't... Like, I think it's not that the things that happen in this episode don't make sense or aren't funny. They do make sense and they are funny. But they're not couched appropriately. And they're they're really pushed through. I mean, both ep- both Karen plotlines in both of these episodes have been really like, here, let me tell you what's going on in Karen's life. Yeah, it's very much less like, here, let me show you a snapshot of Karen's life over the, la- the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. It's very much so like, you can feel the narrative telling you. Right. I mean, in this episode, we have Jack move in with someone and then immediately move out with them. And yet there's still more plot development that happens in Karen's plot line. But right. we we see almost none of it happen live. Like, in, for Karen to go from hating Lorraine's guts and not even being with Lyle to being with Lyle again, finding common ground with Lorraine, and now, at the end of the episode, accidentally convincing Lyle to propose to her, it's it's a lot. It is a lot. It really is. Yeah, so it's it's a really weird shift for these characters and it feels kind of clunky at times Mm -hmm. and then yeah so then karen accidentally becomes engaged right like how does one accidentally do this apparently by inviting your partner's 32 year old child to come live with you weirder ways to get engaged have happened true but but um so i don't really know where this plot is even going i mean I mean, well... I mean, we, I know the long term is that, like, much of the developments of these late seasons of Will and Grace, it will eventually be wiped away by the revival. Well, this one isn't, though, is the thing. Because if you recall, when Lorraine is reintroduced in the revival, she does greet Karen by calling her her stepmother. That's true. But but at some point, Karen ends up back with Stan, who clearly isn't dead. Um, and while the events are not erased, they're effects are muted which i mean which makes sense because these events are supposed to have happened more than a decade ago right but uh i don't know i don't know what to make of it at all it's it's into going into very uncharted territory for karen very weird the whole thing's weird so god bless america 
Yeah. Um, so speaking of things that are weird, now let's talk about the Grace and Will and Jack plotline. This actually went a lot better than I was expecting. Yeah, I think the episode description really puts it out to be a lot more sinister than mm-hmm. it really is. Yeah, I mean, at, at its core, this is really a this is a fun episode where Will and Grace kind of get into this bit that they have where they're trying to be good house flippers, but they're also trying to make a lot of money. They're trying to be the flippers who care, but caring means that they might not make a profit. Well, and being the flippers that care is actually more of a dramatic tension this episode than last episode. Yeah. Whereas, like, last episode, the conflict seemed, like, really forced because, like, they got handed this great opportunity and then Jack gave them kind of, like, a false narrative where they're like you have to give the apartment back to zandra even though you've already sold she's already sold to you of course legally legally because laws are nothing in new york it's the wild west like there's actually like an actual real choice and a real back and forth here yeah where basically at the beginning of the episode grace tells will that they got an amazing offer on the property which is higher than the one that they have accepted from stewart right and they're ready to go so I don't want to say the episode frames it like this, because as we said before, the description is sounds worse than it is. It seems sort of like the setup is going to be Will and Grace are going to destroy Jack and Stuart's relationship. But in reality, it's a bit more like at the moment that they hear about this offer and are a little disappointed that they mm-hmm. can't get the extra money, Jack comes in and says that he's having some doubts about moving in with Stuart, and Will and Grace kind of take advantage of that yes. more so than try and like ruin the relationship. They sort of are like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you know what? Like maybe moving in together is a bit premature. And Why then, don't you not do that? And, and they we'll, also yeah. kind of play up their flippers that care bullshit. And they're just like, I mean, we're the flippers that care. We don't even care that you're an escrow. Like we can make right. that go away. Right. And it, it's, it is interesting because that is a more realistic dynamic to play with. It is manipulative in mm-hmm. a certain sense. Oh, yeah. Um, it's almost more manipulative in some ways that Will and Grace don't explain to Jack what they're doing and they kind of just, like, take advantage of this opportunity that fell into their lap. Yeah. But that's exactly what happened with Zandra. Yeah. You know, they found this property and the person offered it to them at way below market value and they're like, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of in the same situation here where they're like, technically our obligation is that we should say, don't do this, we are doing this for the wrong reasons. But they don't really have to. Right. There's no real legal obligation for them to tell Jack that the reason they don't want him to be with Stuart is because they want to make more money. Right. Well, and the other thing is it's actually not... Like, they're actually kind of right. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're right for the wrong reasons. Like, yes. I Which think the I, episode is smart that way. Yeah, I think it's always really fun to see characters be right about something for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Because then you see them really trying very hard to justify why they're right. Yes. But you always know what the real reason is. Well, and and I think it shows so much character growth for Jack that he's even entertaining this. I mean, right. not a lot of character growth because his growth is based out of fear. Mm-hmm. But like he's, he's genuinely understanding for the first time in the show that... If he's in a relationship with someone, it might progress to a state where they become a very static pair, that they settle down. Mm -hmm. And he's facing that for the first time and freaking out about it. Right. And so he kind of, like, 
reassesses whether or not he's prepared to move in together mm-hmm. with Stuart. And granted, he's encouraged to not move in by Will and Grace, who really want him to not do that. To not do that so they can make more money. But at the same time, like you it's it's a sign of growth that Jack is even self-aware enough to think about this mm-hmm. versus being like, I'm in love, let's move in together. Like there is a certain level of self-awareness that uh-huh. he's like, oh wait, shit suddenly we're talking about what this means and we're old and I'm not ready to be old. Well, and I think there's some unintentional things going on with the writing. Like, I think there's one bit where Jack says, I'm not ready to be an old married lady who's, um, what are the things he says? He's he, got like handkerchief up her sleeve. Handkerchief up her sleeve. And then there was something about, um. Being uh, cold. Being like, cold. He wants a shawl or something. Yeah, he, he he's like. Oh, it's a little drafty in here. Yes. He doesn't have a shawl. And then immediately pulls the tissue out of his sleeve. So he's already embodying these things he's yes. afraid of becoming. And I think that's... Like, I think the writers are doing that ironically to be funny. But I think on, like, another level, it kind of shows that, like... It speaks to the uncertainty of the relationship more than anything. Uh-huh. Like, if Jack was 100% happy in this relationship, it wouldn't... Those aren't the things he would call out because he's already like that. Like, he already is kind of thinking in that mindset, but he's still unnerved by the relationship. I mean... Jack has always been the kind of person who's, like, a little old lady and he's got handkerchiefs in his sleeve. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just because we don't see those character traits all the time doesn't mean that that's untrue to his personality. Right. Like, like many little old ladies, he tends to have very black and white thought processes. <laughs> yes. And he's a bit dramatic and very, I want to speak to a manager sometimes. Well, and he already kind of has the dynamic that he would have with Stuart with Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, like, that's just, that's his personality. He wants to be taken care of. But I think there's something inherent here in him not wanting to be taken care of Stuart that we're seeing for the first time. Right. Like, something about this relationship isn't working for him. Right. And I also, just to circle back to the conversation he has with Stuart that kind of, like, triggers this freakout, is that Stuart's actually kind of being really creepy about this, right? Like... I don't think Stuart's being as much creepy as... I would say Stuart has an expectation for the relationship that Jack doesn't share that they haven't discussed. Here's why I think it's a bit creepy. He literally tells Jack that he doesn't have to do cardio anymore. And, like, while I kind of understand... Okay, tan France. <laughs> while I can kind of understand the joke there being that, like, oh, you don't have to try as hard anymore. You caught yourself a man. Mm-hmm. The idea that, like, you should just completely give up and stop taking care of yourself is also, like... A really toxic way to view relationship. That is true. Like, I won't dispute that. Once you catch yourself a man, you don't have to care anymore. That's that's pretty upsetting to me However, as a human and a feminist. I think that's true. However, I think it's being used as an example to show the contrast between Stuart and right, Jack. Like, I mean, for Jack, that has been his life. I mean, he's always been trying to, like, you know, find the next guy to take care of him. Right. He's never really thought about, like, oh, eventually I'll catch one. Right. He doesn't. He is the sort of person who spent so much time dedicated to becoming an excellent fisherman that he has never, like, thought past, okay, what happens when I get the big catch? Right. He's the dog chasing cars who's never thought about what's going to happen when he grabs the bumper. <laughs> My parents' dog likes to chase cars. He's really stupid. Aww. God bless you, Seamus. You beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, stupid animal. But I think it's, it just shows that they are not suited for each other in this moment, at least. Because mm-hmm. Stuart is ready to settle down. And He's Jack, not exclusively ready to settle down. Right. But Jack is not ready to settle down, like, at all. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like the episode ends with a relationship ending, which I think is kind of a mature, responsible choice. Right. They do seem to have a very thoughtful conversation about how maybe they are rushing their mm-hmm. relationship. There is, of course, the obligatory, we're not lesbians. We don't need to move in on the third date. 
Barumch in there, but whatever. As someone who's had that thought, being a secret lesbian, I totally sympathize with that stereotype. <laughs> as someone who's been in relationships that have been construed as lesbian, I must tell you that I have never once offered, nor <laughs> have I received the offer to move in on the third date. However, on the fourth, it did kind of happen. Yeah, I was like, going to say. And it was kind of weird. Yeah. Basically, don't tell girls that you're dating that you might be looking for an apartment. Oof. Because they will try and offer you theirs. <laughs> it is it is a stereotype because it's a bit real. Yeah. I just don't, like, want to live with someone that soon. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. I mean, like, the fact that Stuart suggested it is kind of crazy. And I kind of like that the episode gave Jack agency in realizing to a certain degree how crazy that is. Yeah, I really liked that this was like a non-nuclear option way to walk back that mm-hmm. offer. Yeah. And, I mean, then, you know, Will and Grace are a little sad because in the meantime, they've lost the big offer because they took too long to answer right, back whether or not they would accept it. And so they're kind of bummed. So then, of course, being the duplicitous flippers that care <laughs> that we know they are, uh, they offered the place back to Zandra. Which was nice. At cost. And then the second they get a different offer, they immediately kick her back to the actor's retirement home. Like, literally, she come, she's un, she's packed up. She come, comes into the house. Will gets the call. And he's like, well, Zandra, your bags are still in the hallway, right? And that that's it. <laughs> I mean, I was literally, like, halfway through making a note. Like, of course Zandra gets the apartment. And I had to, like, cross the note out. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's like, Zandra gets the apartment back. Just kidding. Like, I just, I don't understand the... New York real estate law situation playing out here. I mean, I we've discussed on this podcast that the writers are clearly not realtors, uh-huh. but there is a whole thing happening here. I mean, they know the word escrow, That's and they know important. the words force majeure, which I don't a hundred percent understand, but I think has something to do with things that European kings aren't allowed to do anymore. I don't know what that word means at all. It doesn't sound like it's in English, and I'm tired. Um, for those of you who might be sitting here going, God, Taz, Matthew, you sound kind of rough this week. It's because we literally flew back from San Diego yesterday. So we are kind of rough this week. Mm-hmm. And so um, escrow is one of those words that I'm surprised that I even know right now. <laughs> like, good job, me. I remember that that's a real estate word. They used some good context clues in the episode. They did. Um, for those of you who are go- who've always been sort of like, I'm not really sure what escrow is. They do give like a, a layman's explanation of it, mm-hmm. which was helpful for me. Yeah. Um, but it was just another weird episode where like, Will and Grace are allowed to do whatever they want in the pursuit of making a buck, which, whatever, yeah, I guess. I did really appreciate, hi, kitten. I did really appreciate that they had also committed themselves to being the flippers who care so much that they had made beach towels and Oh, yeah, we totally mugs. do that. We would totally do that. But then immediately, again, are not really at all caring flippers. They're just flippers. They should have just gotten, like, a dolphin mug and gotten over it. Yeah. I guess as we wrap up this episode, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this plot line which seems to pit Will and Grace together in a very strange way and have no plot benefit for the show. Here's the one plot benefit that I see that happened this week. It was when Grace accidentally got a little too real with Jack and told him that moving in with Leo was a mistake. Right. <laughs> that is the most plot relevant thing that happens in this episode. I'm going to that's what I'm that's my takeaway. Yeah, I just I I it feels like it's just like giving Will and Grace something to do this season and that isn't romantic. And I'm for that. Uh-huh. It's just weird. It is weird. It's also really weird that Deborah Messing is just so visibly pregnant in like every scene. 
See, I thought they did a good job of hiding that this week because they put her in cute outfits. You see, you thought that, but then the first scene that you pointed out to me was the one with the fattest uterus <laughs> outfit. And so I'm just like, no, you're wrong. Like, Matthew just doesn't have the keen eye for the fat uterus that I you do. You be nice to Deborah Messing's uterus. I mean, it's I'm, a lovely uterus. I'm proud of her and her fat uterus. I was so happy that she had a baby at that time, but mm. like, they're just not hiding it well. They just keep put, putting her in more and more like bag like outfits. And that's not helping. Deborah Messing, we're sorry. Deborah Messing, we love you. And your child, who must be almost 20. What? No, there's no way. This episode aired in 2004. Yeah, and so they were born in 2004. What year do you think it is? I don't know. (laughs) Tune in next week, (laughs) where we take tests to where Deborah Messing's child goes to school. Hint, it's not college. Probably high school. It might be high school. We're using the word almost very, very, very broadly this week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, I think that's all we have for this week. Yeah, why don't you tell people where they can find us on the internet so they can help me do math because I'm clearly discalculatic. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to send some math problems to Tess, the best place to start is on our Twitter page at Not A Couple Show. Um, You can also send us some problems on our Facebook page or via Tumblr. We also have an email address at notacouplepodcast at gmail.com. You can always share this podcast with your friends from Spotify, Podbean, and uh, I guess it's not iTunes anymore, is it, Tess? It must be Apple Music. Apple Music, it is. Which doesn't make sense because it's a podcast. Is it Apple Podcasts? I think it might be Apple Podcasts. You know what? When you find out where you can listen to this on Apple, you tell us. And we'll... We'll just trust that it's going to be there every week. We'll believe you. We have no idea. We, we don't know anything. We don't work for Apple. All right. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. I'm Tess. I'm Matthew. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye-bye. Bye. This week's episode was sponsored by HGTV's brand new series, Will and Grace, The Flippers Who Care. Watch them. Not care really hard while they make over houses and it's really great and addictive and you've watched six hours and you can't turn it off oh god flippers who care